This is episode 441 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Human Waste Disposal Off the Grid. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, I want to invite you to the free video lesson on three ways to get started in food storage. Now, if you haven't had a chance to go sign up, I'm encouraging you to do that today. For those of you that are podcast listeners and you might not have time to listen to a video, well, you can download the the MP3. I made it very convenient for you to get this information. But if you do go listen to the video, there's also three worksheets. Now, you get those either way, right? But three worksheets that you can fill out that can be useful for you. So I highly encourage you to go and be a part of this free video lesson on three ways, three easy ways to get started in food stores. And so there's a link in the show notes and you can come on over to Prepper website and sign up for that. I make it pretty quick and easy for you. I just think it's very valuable information. Hey, I also want to let you know that I have been able to create a t-shirt and put it up on amazon.com that says prepped into wear. So it's very aligned to what I end the podcast with every single episode. You know, when I say stay prepped into wear. And so if you'd like to support the Prepper website podcast and Prepper website, and if you'd just like to have a cool Prepper shirt, this is a great quality shirt. Um, you can go on over to amazon.com. And if you just type in uh, prepped into wear t-shirt, it will come up for you. And uh, of course, the more people that purchase it, uh, the more the easier it'll come up when you first search for it that way. But I've also made it very easy for you if you want to to get that in the show notes. And so, uh, you know, go ahead and check that out. I have it in blue or, or actually navy and black. And uh, like I said, really high quality. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into this article because this is a very important one and I've got a lot to say about this one. I'm going to go ahead and read it and then on the very back end of this uh, this article, I just have a lot to say because this is one of those important things that I don't think people have thought about and it's one of the things that, that's always in the back of my mind and you might be surprised at some of the things that uh, that I say, you know, um, if you've never heard me say those things before. So let's go ahead and dive into this article. It's from doomandbloom.net, two of my favorite people on or in the preparedness community, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And uh, so, like I said, let me read it. And then I want to, on the back side of it, I have a lot to say. All right. So human waste disposal off the grid. We've been writing about infectious disease and the use of antibiotics off the grid for many years. Now our upcoming book, tentatively called Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, will finally put forth a lot of information about specific illnesses and drugs together in one volume, all in plain English. Of course, antibiotics can save lives otherwise lost at infection, but how about preventing some of those infections in the first place? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and proper sanitation and waste disposal is a huge first step. 
Now, some survival-minded folk have developed bushcraft skills that will serve them well in a major disaster. Few, however, have given much thought as to how they will maintain a long-term sanitary environment for their family. This is foolhardy as many deaths occur daily in underdeveloped countries due to bad water, contaminated food, and poorly handled human waste. Most of our readers don't live in an underdeveloped country, so they might assume that their infrastructure will stay intact even after a disaster. Also, they might continue to count on clean drinking water and safely prepared food. Likewise, they think there will always be ways to easily flush waste from our immediate surroundings so that it goes far, far away to a treatment facility. When our infrastructure is damaged, however, we become easy prey for infectious disease. You only have to look back a few years to the 2010 earthquake in Haiti and the subsequent cholera epidemic there to know this is true. We've discussed problems related to food and water often in the past, so let's talk about waste. If you can safely dispose of waste, you will have the best chance to stay healthy. When the electrical power is lost for a significant period due to a storm or other disaster, water utilities cannot operate the pumps that maintain water pressure in the pipes of your home. This pressure is one way that utilities ensure that your waste goes to a facility that can eliminate harmful bacteria. Without it, a boil water order is often issued by the authorities. Harsh lessons learned as a result of disasters have led to the outfitting of waste treatment facilities with generators. Generator power is helpful, but only while you have fuel. Therefore, we must realize that human sewage will be a big problem not only in the aftermath of a storm, but also in a long-term disaster. If the water isn't running, a community without a ready supply of it will have a nightmare on their hands after as little as three days. Guys, I want to read that one more time for you, right? This is a small little paragraph with just two sentences. Therefore, we must realize that human sewage will be a big problem, not only in the aftermath of a storm, but also in a long-term disaster. If the water isn't running, a community without a ready supply of it will have a nightmare on their hands after as little as three days. There are various examples of this in the recent past. In the grand majority, people were clueless as to how a flush toilet worked. After filling whatever porcelain options were available, they proceeded to pick rooms where they would relieve themselves, and as a result, their homes were uninhabitable in less than a week. I'm not going to accuse anyone of that plan of action to eliminate human waste. For those who don't know, however, here's how a flush toilet at least one type actually works. A flush toilet uses water to send human waste through a drain pipe to another location. The toilet bowl usually has a ring-shaped seat on top, which is covered by the lid when not in use. We've become so used to the shape of the seat that even off-grid five-gallon bucket toilets, like the Luggable Lou, have a seat that goes on a bucket looking like a standard toilet seat. The water used for flushing a toilet is stored in a tank in the back called a cistern. Yes, like the cistern used to collect rainwater. The toilet has an inlet valve that's in charge of controlling the amount of water going into the tank or cistern. 
The valve lets water in when the tank is empty and stops water coming in when the tank is full. It accomplishes this with something in the tank called a float ball or other moving floating part. This rises as the tank fills with water. When the tank fills, the ball rises and an apparatus presses against the inlet valve to cover it and turn the water off, preventing overflow. In the meantime, a lid called a flapper prevents the water in the tank from draining out until the handle is pressed. When you press the handle, a lever inside the tank pulls the flapper up, forcing some water through a siphon. This provides suction in the siphon and the rest of the water follows, emptying the tank. The flapper then drops back into position, allowing the tank to fill up, raising the floater or other apparatus until it's full again. Once the water leaves the tank, it goes through a short pipe to the toilet bowl. It sloshes around the rim, down the sides of the bowl, and out through the drain pipe, cleaning the bowl and carrying the waste with it. Why is there some water left in the bowl after all this? That's because toilets have a bend in the piping, which remains filled with water between flushing. The water in what's called the S-bend also stops bad odors from emanating from the drain pipe. During flushing, the S-bend provides some siphon action as well. The flush carries waste matter to a drain, which then takes it to a treatment plant or a septic tank. If there are municipal sewer lines, a line known as a lateral goes from your home to the sewer main. If the sewer main is down or blocked, however, the act of flushing the toilet will eventually back up sewage into the rest of the plumbing known as backflow. There are backflow prevention valves that can be installed if they are not already there. It's a good idea to find out if your home has them. All right, so one thing that I want to say right here is the only way, I guess, if you can, if you don't have one installed, a backflow, unless you are doing, like they're redoing your sewer pipe that goes from your home to the to the main you know city line or the municipal city line um you, you know you, you can't really do it that way and uh, or if you are having a home built or something like that you want to have that installed that is a really great thing to have that way if for whatever reason the lines get backed up then that the poop and everything else that's happening will not come and flow back into your home okay so that's very important so I'll talk about that in just a minute, or I'll, I'll reflect on that in just a minute. But here's where some simple planning pays off. If you have access to water, even water unfit to drink, you can have a working toilet by filling the tank with water before flushing or by pouring a couple of gallons directly into the toilet bowl. This will trigger the siphoning action of the plumbing and send your excrement on its way. This is all well and good, but what if you have no water to flush a toilet? If you are in your home, empty your toilet as much as possible. Then, place two layers of garbage bags, the sturdier the better, inside and lower the lid to hold them in place. Have some sand and bleach solution to pour over the waste for deodorization. If you're a cat person, you have a head start. You've probably stored away some kitty litter to use. Otherwise, consider some of the commercially produced powders that are on the market. After several uses, it will be clear that it's time to dispose of the waste, which you already have conveniently bagged. It might be even wiser to move this bodily function outdoors as our ancestors did. Remember outhouses? Here's where a five-gallon bucket from Home Depot or Lowe's comes in handy. 
Line it with the same two garbage bags, essential items to store in quantity, and place your toilet seat, a couple of short-length 2x4s, or even the previously mentioned luggable loo, and you're good to um, go. Use sand, dirt, kitty litter, or even quick lime, along with some bleach solution until the bag is half full or so and dispose. Many wisely have two buckets, one for solid waste and another for urine. Why? The worst disease-causing organisms are contained in human feces. Urine, although not sterile as some think, is less likely to harbor harmful germs. Also, the volume of urine would be much higher compared to the amount of solid waste, especially where food might be scarce. Some might even find it useful for plants due to the high nitrogen content. You might still benefit from modern technology in the aftermath of a disaster. If you can afford them, there are self-composting toilets that are manufactured especially for power-down scenarios. For those on the move, a single hole dug when the need arises will work if covered effectively and some important rules are followed. For the long term, you will want to dig what's called a trench latrine. A trench latrine is basically just that, a trench dedicated to waste that can be utilized multiple times. The dimensions of the latrine will depend on the length of time it is needed and the number of people in your group. For a small group, make it 18 inches wide, at least 24 inches deep, and at least several feet long. Consider a longer trench and some kind of partition sheet for privacy if your group is big enough to have more than one person utilizing it at a time. Of course, privacy may be the least of your concerns if you're at the point you have to dig a community latrine. Now keep the dirt left over from digging the trench in a pile next to the latrine with the shovel and make sure you cover up the waste after each use. A major concern about any latrine or waste deposited in a hole is contamination of the local water supply. Follow these waste disposal rules diligently. Don't place a latrine anywhere near your water source. At least 200 feet away is best. Disperse single holes over as wide an area as possible. Again, at least 200 feet away from water. Don't place latrines anywhere near where rainwater runoff occurs. Don't place latrines near food preparation or eating areas. Avoid digging single-use holes where others are likely to step. Dig holes in raised areas that will be less likely to cause leaching into water sources. And consider areas in sunlight which heats up the soil and speeds decomposition. Finally, Always be certain to wash your hands after visiting the latrine. We rarely pay enough attention to hand hygiene and pay the penalty for this by contracting all sorts of illnesses, many of which we've discussed in major detail on our website and in our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. Remember that many of these germs stay alive on your hands for hours. The medic must realize that enforcement of good sanitation is part of the job description. You are the chief sanitation officer. It's your duty to make sure that you keep conditions in your retreat as healthy as possible. If you haven't planned for good sanitation, your infectious disease may run rampant among your people. All right, so guys, this is one of those very, you know, it's one of those that you really don't think about and you really don't want to think about sometimes, but it's one of those very important ones, all right? 
And so let me let me start off this way. A lot of and, and this could change maybe your thoughts on this. A lot of the times we talk about bugging out and we talk about bugging in, right? And so let me let me just talk a little bit about bugging in. If you were in a true grid down situation, if the poop had hit the fan, right? And eventually the power is going to go out. You're going to lose utilities and all those types of things. Think about your neighborhood. Think about if you decide to bug in, because you know a lot of people will say, "I have all my gear at home. I don't have a place to bug out, and you know it's just easy to bug in. That's what I'm going to do." All right, fine. But let's just say you do get to the point where the power goes out, the utilities stop flowing. And, and you have to use the restroom. That's something you're going to have to do every single day. And then you multiply that by the amount of people that you have. That's something that's going to happen every single day. Now, if you while you have water, and even if you have water storage, whatever, in rain barrels, whatever, you can start to flush. You can flush as much as possible, all right? So, for instance, in my neighborhood, this is what I know about our sewage lines is that the sewage lines go to a certain place and then uh, it's, it's gravity, right? It runs to gravity to a certain place and then there's a pump that pumps it over and then it's gravity fed again until it gets to another pumping station and then it's, it's pumped again until it winds up getting to the, to the water treatment plant, right? And so if there is, you know, right now those pumps run on electricity, but... If they if the power was to go out, those pumps would run on fuel. They have you know they have gas backup generators. That's what I've heard. That's what I you know when I've discussed this with other people. So let's just say they're running on backup generators, and you're flushing your toilets and all that kind of stuff. But let's just say that the fuel runs out, and then you're in a real poop hit the fan situation, and people aren't replenishing that fuel in those pumps. So then what happens is the waste gets to that pumping station and it starts to back up slowly, 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 and it's coming back to your home. So it's going back towards this, you know, back into the sewage lines. And then eventually it's, it's going, you know, from the municipal uh, sewage lines, it's backing up into your own sewage line. And this is where that, that back, uh, that flap that we were talking about just, just recently that I was talking about is if you have that in place, well, then that's very, that's very good because then whatever is coming back from the sewage lines, then it's not going to come back into your home and contaminate because that's, that eventually that would happen, right? It would come up through the sewage lines. It would come out of your bathtubs. It would come out of your showers. It would come out of your toilets, right? And that's a very scary thing to think about if you don't have a way to stop that. Because the idea is that people are going to continue to use that. You could keep go, you could go around to all your neighbors and say, hey, look, you cannot use the restroom because it's going to back up into our homes. But the fact is, is that there's going to be people that don't want, don't care. They don't want to listen to that or they don't believe you and they're going to continue using it. And so like, for instance, around my area, there's a big pond. And so people could go get water to flush down their toilet. But eventually, like I said, it's going to back up. So there should be a clean out valve that you have somewhere between the, between your house 
and uh, the line that goes out to the sewer, right? So there should be a clean out valve. And that's what plumbers use. Like for instance, if uh, there is a problem and they need to send like a rotor rooter down there or whatever, they do that to clean out pipes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. In my case, I just use a pipe wrench to take off the top and then I can see that clean out valve. I can see all the way through that. And I've ha I have used that before to, you know, to rotor rooter and to do all that kind of stuff, right? It's a nasty, nasty job. But what you want to know where that is, because if you are truly in a poop hit the fan situation and you have a concern, like this is like it, right? Like, you know, this is it. <laughs> the zombies, whatever. This is going to be, this is the end of the world as we know it. Somehow you want to fill up that uh, that pipe. You want to cause a blockage between uh, the sewer line, the municipal sewer line, and the line that's coming back into your home. That way, if for whatever reason there is backflow of waste, it does not go into your home, because that is that would make like Doctor Bones was talking about your house, your home uninhabitable. So you have depended on bugging in. And then this starts happening and your house is uninhabitable. All right. So again, you can be doing everything right, but your neighbors might not be doing everything right. So this, again, this goes to, uh, you know, pooping in, in your neighborhood. So let's just say you get your neighbors together and it is the zombie apocalypse or whatever, right? And you get your, I don't, it's like, I don't want to say the poop has hit the fan because really the poop has hit the fan here, right? On this one. And so you get your neighbors in what I imagine is if I'm here in my neighborhood, I'm going to be rallying my neighbors as much as possible. I'm going to be, you know, moving into that community like, hey, let's let's uh, we need to partner together. We need to come together. This is a big deal. We need to provide security. We need to do this and this and that and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's what I would be doing. I know a lot of people are like, man, I'm just going to stick to myself and that's all I'm going to do. And I'm just going to seal up the, the doors and the windows and uh, just keep to myself. And, and that's it. That's not my plan. My plan is to go out and to organize the community and to make sure that we're protected and to make sure that everybody is on the same page. Right. So part of that would be sanitation. Like we would need to come up with a plan of where people are going to go poop. Because that's going to be a problem. Now, let's just say that you're, you know, the neighbor, the new group, whatever, the, the, the people that have come together have said, okay, we're going to use this place here in the neighborhood as our designated outhouse. So everybody is going to have to travel over there to use the restroom or at least bring your poop in buckets or whatever you're going to do, right? And so everybody agrees to that. But let's just say there's some neighbors who are like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's too far to go. I'm just going to drop my pants in my yard. I'm just going to do that here. Or maybe they just do it in their backyard, right? And so that's, that's what they want to do. But they're walking in it. And so people are walking in it. They're walking in it. They're tracking it. Maybe they come over to your house. Maybe they're walking in your yard. They're tracking disease. They're tracking all that stuff all over the community. And that's a big problem. Again, you might be doing everything right, but your neighbors might not be doing everything right. And that's why everybody has to be on the same page in something like this, because this is very, very important. 
Now, one of the things that Dr. Bones brought up is the, the five gallon bucket with, you know, with the plastic bags and stuff. And I hear people do that all the time. I, I read about that all the time. Now, listen, that is good in a short term disaster. That is good in a situation where, all right, I am going to be using plastic bags and I'm going to be, you know, moving these plastic bags over to the side and that's going to be a temporary fix. But that, that can't be a permanent fix because what are you going to do? With, first of all, the plastic bags are going to run out, right? Second of all, what are you going to do with all those plastic bags? What are you going to, how are you going to handle that? Are you just going to put them somewhere over by the, uh, you know, in your yard somewhere because there's no trash pickup, right? And so eventually some animal decides to start, you know, tearing away at the plastic and then whatever is inside of it goes everywhere. Mm. So I know that you got to understand that that is a very temporary solution. That is very for that is for a short term, you know, solution, because if, if it is a long term, if it is truly the end of the world, as we know it, you have to organize your neighborhood and come up with a plan because you don't want everyone just pooping all over the place. You know, there are documentaries on people that go into uh, villages, right, in, in third world you know, countries and underdeveloped countries. And they go into these rural villages and they talk to people about where to go poop and how to go use the restroom and, and how they need to just go. Because a lot of the times these people will just drop wherever they are and they will use the restroom and they don't realize they're spreading diseases. And so they tell them, hey, look, you need to have a designated place and that way people are safe and people are healthy and you don't have to deal with those types of things, right? So that's a lot of stuff to consider there. A lot of the times people don't think about that. You're not, you're thinking I'm going to bug in and I'm going to continue to use my toilet, you know, and I know <laughs> I talk a lot about toilet paper and using the restroom and all that kind of stuff, because I don't know why, man, that's something that I have thought about because you can get sick very, very quickly. That will do you in, man. You can have a year's worth of food. You can have, you know, six months worth of, of water stocked in your home. You can have all the AR-15s tricked out and all that kind of junk. You can have a whole room full of medical supplies. But if you can't get the sanitation down, then that's going to be for nothing, man, because you're going to be you're going to be passing disease like crazy. So this is a very important thing, man, that we that we really need to be thinking about. And you need to have a plan, at least be thinking about a plan in place. What would I do? In a short-term situation, the, the luggable loo or whatever, they make those those five-gallon, uh, those tops, right? So those toilet seats that you can find. You can find those at a lot of sporting goods stores. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of them. I have one here at the house. We have one up in the country, you know, as a spare if, if we ever needed it for whatever. Um, one of the ways that we use it at the very beginning up in the country is we, it was kind of a take on the, uh, on the, on the plastic bag thing. But what I did was I used a drill and a saw and I cut out the very bottom of the five gallon bucket. Right. So uh, I did that. And then I had a plastic bag, one of the, the small uh, kitchen kitchen bags, and I cut a hole in the bottom of it. So basically the plastic bag was protecting the inside of the five gallon bucket. And then we went out. This was like before we had any kind of toilets or we had, uh, you know, any anything there 
up in the country. And so you would dig a hole and you would put two by fours down on, on the ground. And then you'd sit that, sit that, uh, that five gallon bucket over the two by fours. So it basically worked like an outhouse, right? And so you had that, the, the five gallon toilet seat on there. And the, so you can sit and, and, uh, and use the restroom. Just, you know, you had something, you know, something su- somewhat similar or normal, I guess. And then when the weekend was up or we were, we were coming home, we would just take off the plastic and, uh, and throw that away. And that way the inside of the five gallon, uh, bucket wasn't all dirty, right? And so you could just easily store that inside, and that way, just you're just throwing away the plastic, and you were just very careful about the plastic and and uh, and, and not getting anything on you or anything like that. But that really worked, and so you could use that as a kind of you know a little outhouse, um, in, and uh, if you if you really needed it. But again, in a neighborhood, that wouldn't work. Because, you know, you have so many people in such a confined area. I have never looked into composting toilets. So I don't know. uh, I don't know too much about those. But, you know, that might be something to to look into. If that could be turned into a long-term solution. Now, I I know that I have posted uh, articles on Prepper website. I've seen videos of longer-term composting toilets but i mean these were like big things that people were, were doing and uh, pretty elaborate the way they set them all up you know the what dr bones was talking about here in this article were the smaller composting toilets that uh, that you could that you could have so i just don't know what all goes into that and uh, you know all the composting and things like that but this is such a very big topic and something that you should be thinking about and uh, you know what would you do there should be a plan in the back of your head if you are bugging in and you are in a neighborhood, what would you do? If you are bugging in and you are in an apartment, really, I mean, what what are you going to do? Because that's that's big time, right? That's something that you really need to consider there. If you are out in the country, you could easily build an outhouse. You know that that's something that you can do. If you are on a septic tank, then you have a lot a lot longer. Uh, to not have to worry about this, right? Eventually, you will have to because septic tanks do fill up, but uh, you have a little bit longer uh, time to to really think about what is going to happen and what needs to happen there. But eventually, you will have to deal with this. So what kind of plans do you have in place for this type of, of situation? And it's one of those things that uh, should be there and one of those things you should be thinking about. All right, guys, so uh, that's uh, that's my take on that. You can see sometimes I go to places that, man, I, I don't know how I go there. But it's one of those things that we just need to, to, to think about and to concern ourselves. So that is going to be, again, over at doomandbloom.net. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And uh, you can go take a look at it over there and uh, drop by Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's website and let them know that you appreciate the fact that... Uh, that they allow uh, their articles to be read on the podcast. And so I do appreciate that. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 441. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. 
Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.